Let's get our Bibles out tonight. And uh, we are in Hebrews, working our way through the faith chapter, chapter 11. We took a pause to talk about all of those people who wound up in the Hall of Fame of Faith, just to do a little bit of a a Bible study on their lives and find out how they ended up there. If we're to have faith to please God, if we're to wind up pleasing God with our faith, we've got to know what faith is, and we've got to know why these people are here in Hebrews chapter 11. And so in just a minute, I'm going to read verse 6 to you. I'll recap a little bit, but this is our text for tonight. Uh, Let me just start in verse 5. We talked about Enoch last week and Abel the week before. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So I, I want to just stop there because our target verse for tonight is, is not a person. It's that verse 6 there. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many of you have heard that verse many times? Amen. And probably you know it by heart and it rolls off the tongue. But we're really, really going to dig into it tonight, find out exactly what the Holy Spirit's got in there for us and the implications. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, we slow down to examine uh, some of these characters in the Hall of Fame of Faith. We're going to do that some more. Uh, Faith is something that we've talked about, and we said it attracts the attention of God. It impresses God. That's how these people wound up in chapter 11 here in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because their faith impressed God. It was so impressive in certain circumstances that Enoch, as we talked about the last time, didn't even taste death. This is Old Testament. This is before the cross. This is before the blood of Jesus. This guy walked with God and pleased God, and God caught him up. And he didn't allow him to taste of death. And so faith can do amazing things in our lives, amen? Uh, Faith is expressed in people in the Old Testament by looking forward to the cross. Remember I kind of explained this? You say, well, you know, all these guys in the Old Testament that died before Jesus uh, did and before Jesus broke the power of sin, they didn't go straight into the presence of God. They went into Abraham's bosom. And you might think, why? The patriarchs, Moses, all these guys. Because without the cross, we can't go into the presence of God. Amen? There's just no way. And so God allowed them to look forward to the cross to express faith in their generation, and he counted it as righteousness for them. We looked at Abel. We, we saw Abel. He, he made this offering to God, and it might not seem like a big deal, but it impressed God, and God counted it as righteousness for Abel. We talked about Enoch and an amazing situation there. If you were in here last week, uh, get online and listen to what uh, we talked about with Enoch and how he pleased God. The next member of the Hall of Fame of Faith is Noah, and we're, by God's grace, if we're still here next time, uh, we'll get to that. But tonight, it's chapter 6. Without faith, it's impossible. I mean, it's verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. Let's just take that and pull it apart tonight. If it's impossible to please God without faith, and I want to be pleasing to God, 
then I better know what faith is. Amen? You know, I want to please you, Lord. I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and, and, and get to heaven, and you look at me and go, what are you doing here? I want to hear well done. And to hear well done, I've got to please him with my faith. And so if I want to please him, I better know what faith is. So, you know, you, you look, and a lot of people waste a lot of time and energy doing spiritual things or religious things or, you know, uh, just ceremonial things to try and impress God. But the word never asked for any of that. God never asked for any of that. He asked for faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? Now, the English definition boils down. There's many different ones of them, but it boils down to belief, trust, and loyalty to someone or something. You know, that's what Uncle Webster says. But the, the Bible definition of faith is much broader and much deeper, and there's actually a lot of Bible words that convey the idea of faith. Now, Testament, which is primarily the Hebrew, you know, we look at the, the Hebrew, th th this idea of faith in the Old Testament isn't expressed like it is in the New Testament. In fact, if you do a word study on the word faith, you're only going to find it really two or maybe three times in the Old Testament, depending on your translation. But you're going to find the, the, the word faithful or faithfulness many, many times. Why? Because the, the concept of faith blossoms in the New Testament in a different way. But there are many words in the Old Testament that describe faithful and faithfulness. And I, I want to cover nine of them with you. You don't have to write this down or anything, but just listen and get the common thread that weaves through all of these Hebrew words in the Old Testament to convey this idea of faith, faithful, and faithfulness. The first word is aman. It means to believe, to trust, or to rely upon. The next word is bata. It means to trust or rely upon. The next word is mita, to trust or have confidence in. Are you, are you getting a common thread here? Not yet? I'll keep going. The next word is hasa, to seek refuge or protection in. How about galal, to comfort or to trust. Mahesen, to take refuge or shelter in. Yahal, to wait, to tarry or to hope in. Rakants to rely on or to trust in, and amunal, to trust in with certainty. So you see that common thread, faithfulness and faith. All of those Hebrew words are translated into faithful or faith or faithfulness, and they're conveying this idea of relying or trusting in God. Amen? Shift into the New Testament. There's only three words that describe faith in the New Testament. The one that's used almost 90% of the time is pistis. And pistis is, is this idea that uh, conveys the concept of persuading to trust God's divine persuasion. So when we hear this word faith, it means that we've been persuaded by God to trust him, pistis. Now think about that definition right there. That, re that definition really takes us out of it, doesn't it? Well, I just, I have a lot of faith because I'm super spiritual. But pistis implies that that faith comes from God, that he gives it to us. And isn't that consistent in the New Testament? Faith as if you have a faith as a mustard seed. Each one has been given a measure of faith. You can go through all the text. So faith has little to do with us in the sense that we generate it from ourselves, but pistis conveys this idea that it is by divine persuasion that God persuades us by revealing himself to us to trust him. 
Wow, I could see you guys thinking out there. The gears are turning. Some smoke is coming out from columns of smoke. So there's another word that's used besides pistis, even though pistis is 90% of the time. It's oligio pistos, and that means little faith. When Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, oligio pistos, he's saying, you know, he's talking about faith in the sense where you don't have any. You would rather hear pistis. And then there's one time in the New Testament where the word el pese is used, and it means confidence or hope. So, you know, we did a little bit of word study. I hope that helps you to realize uh, a couple things. Number one is that we need to really dig into the Scripture and go to the original languages if we want to get detailed meanings, and that, you know, these words that are translated in our English Bible, uh, you know, they are translations from the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So... Uh, I hope that helps a little bit tonight. And if you boil all that down, here's the working definition of faith I want to give you tonight. Faith is a supernatural belief and trust in God based on a real-time relationship with him. I'll, I'll say it one more time if you're taking notes. Faith is a supernatural belief and trust in God based on a real-time relationship with with him. And that's important to understand is if we want to be pleasing to God, it's going to happen uh, by a relationship with him. And as we relate to him, he, he allows the faith that he put in us to grow. Okay. So it's not, well, you know, I said the sinner's prayer at Bible camp when I was 14. And, you know, I figured that was good enough. I had a little interaction with God. I got a few goosebumps. I took a picture and I'm good. Oh, it's so quiet. No, there's more to it than that. If we want to be pleasing to God, we have an ongoing, current, living relationship with him. To please God, I must trust and believe and have a real-time relationship with him. Not a yesterday, not a once in a while, not a Wednesday-Sunday relationship. An everyday, all-day communion with him, amen? That's what we're striving for. You see, the, the Sunday, the Sunday Wednesday Christian, he's not close enough to God. And the Christmas and Easter Christian is not even in the ballpark. Come on, you know the C's? Christmas and Easter. You see them? I'll see you at Christmas. I'll see you at Easter. It's an ongoing, current, living relationship with God. People who say, I believe in God, expressing that they have faith in God, that's a good thing. I'm not downplaying that, but listen to me. People who say, I believe in God, but don't have a current relationship with Jesus, just believe in a concept of God. And that's not faith, and that's not pleasing to God. You've heard all kinds of people that you knew weren't born again, maybe family members or close friends, and they say, well, I believe in God. Well, the demons believe and tremble, and they know the word better than we do. So that certainly doesn't save us. And the, the mental ascent that there is a God, while it's a step in the right direction, it's certainly not a lifestyle of expressing faith in a way that pleases God. So understand it's more than, you know, a conceptual thing. It's more than a, just a confession, I believe in God. 1 John 2, 23 says this, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Do you see that? It's very important. We need to understand that. Jesus is the only way. And without Jesus, we don't have the Father. Well, you know, I don't believe in all this Jesus stuff, and I'm not one of you crazy Christians, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm connected right to God. No, you're not. It's impossible. 
It's impossible to connect to the Father without the Son. Because if you know the Father, if you really had a relationship with him, you would love his Son and you'd receive his Son. And you'd realize it's the Son that allows you connection with God. So this whole thing I believe and, you know, uh, I, I have this, you know, understanding of spirituality, very shallow, very thin, and in the end, not pleasing to God. So, you know, I asked myself this question as I was digging through the scripture in preparing this message. I just sat alone with the Lord and I said, God, what is it about faith that you're so interested in? You know, I encourage you to ask God questions like that. God, what, you know, you're all, you're all excited about faith, God. Explain to me, Holy Spirit, show me. What is it about faith that just excites you so much? And, you know, God is looking for faith. He's not looking for a mental assent. He's not just saying, just, just make the mental admission that I exist and we're good. No, he's not, he's not saying that. He, he's not saying, you know, uh, that, you know, somehow, some way, if you, you know, don't want to have faith, you can just connect with me in a way that, you know, just says that I'm there. Or how about, you know, it's just experience-based. God, God just says, I'll just, I'll just reveal myself to you a little bit, and you can have an experience with me, and that'll be enough. No, he, he doesn't say that. It's not just an experience. It's not just, you know, somehow we, uh, you know, we, we had a moment with God. No, it's not a mental ascent. It's not an intellectual understanding. It's not feelings. So, so many of us make our Christianity based on feelings. That's why people depart from the sound doctrines of the word, because they hear the word of God and they don't, they're not feeling it. Oh, I don't know about that. The culture is so much different than that. I feel this way. It's not our feelings that connect us to God. It's not our intellect that connects us to God. It's not this mental ascent that somehow now we, we please him. He, he's not a concept. God says, if you want to connect with me, if you want to really be pleasing to me, it's faith. It's got to be faith. And that's the only way to connect with him. People try all these other approaches in life and they lead nowhere. And you could spend a lifetime trying to connect with God intellectually, uh, emotionally, uh, you know, uh, experientially, and it leads nowhere because what he's looking for is faith. And here's the reason that I found that God wants faith. <clears throat> because faith is the only just way to approach him. If we approach him any other way than in faith, it's not right. It's unjust. And I'm going to explain to you why. Every other way of approaching God without faith is plagued with some degree of doubt and unbelief. I know it's a little, a little thick tonight, but you want it with me a little bit. You see, if we approach him without faith, then we're approaching him by our senses, by our emotions, and all of that is going to have a little bit of doubt in it, and it's going to have unbelief in it. Now, listen to me. Unbelief is a spiritual snare that causes multiplied millions of people to stumble into eternity without Christ and have to answer for their sins. Why are there people that you love, that you've witnessed to, maybe in your family, maybe at your workplace, maybe friends you went to high school with, that why are they not here tonight? Because they have some sort of excuse that's based on uh, uh, this idea of unbelief. Well, I don't believe that. And therefore, I'm not going to give my life to Christ. 
Because the moment we approach him with faith and we believe and we push unbelief aside and he reveals Jesus to us, there's no looking back from that moment. But there is this twinge of unbelief in the heart of everyone who keeps God at arm's length and says, I'm not ready for Jesus. Have you heard that before? I'm not ready for that. So unbelief is a serious spiritual snare, and it's caused millions and millions of people to to miss redemption and miss the grace of God and to stumble into eternity having to answer for their sins. Now, I want to give you five scriptural truths about unbelief. Us understanding unbelief is going to help us understand why it's got to be faith. Okay, you understand that? So here's five scriptural truths about unbelief. Number one, unbelief isn't just for unbelievers but for believers as well. Some, some believers get in the door and they, I don't believe this and I don't believe that. There's people now who have come out just recently, pastors who say they don't believe in the Old Testament Bible stories, they don't believe Noah had an ark, they don't believe in this and they don't believe in that and they don't believe in creation. This is current stuff. And unbelief is not just for unbelievers Believers struggle with unbelief as well. Mark 16, 14. Later he appeared to the 11 disciples themselves and they were reclining at a table and he, Jesus, reprimanded them. It says in the King James, he upbraided them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. So Jesus, what? Remember, oh, you little, little faith? He, he has this, you know, it's a rub to him that people don't believe. And who did he, he upbraided them. What did he mean? He told them off. Huh. How'd you like to get told off by Jesus? I have no rebuttal. And he's like, guys, you, you didn't believe. You didn't listen to what I said. I told you over and over again. And when I died, you acted like, you know, you didn't know what was going on. You should have known. You should have believed. But you didn't. So unbelief doesn't just affect unbelievers. At least we sit out there tonight and go, you know, well, I'm a believer, so, you know, I got this all in line. No, we have to, you know, line up our beliefs with the word of God because if we don't and we pick and choose and I don't believe this and I don't believe that, when we approach God, it's in unbelief and not faith and it's not pleasing to him. Number two, the second truth about unbelief is this. Unbelief has the very real ability to disconnect people from God. You say, come on, all of us have doubts. All of us, you know, have a hard time believing certain things. Absolutely, that's true. Yeah, we all have doubts. We all have questions for God. You know, and it's okay to have that. It's, it's okay. In fact, if you don't wrestle through some things, I would question whether or not you're really pursuing God. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? That means, you know, we can have questions and we can have doubts and, and, and we can have areas where, you know, we don't even, there's been times in my life where I wasn't even sure what I believed. Anybody? Oh, you look so holy out there. In Bible school, learning eschatology and hearing all the different views of the end times and all this stuff. And, and you get all this information and you're like, you know, you got this gut feeling, but you're not quite sure. There are some things, theological things, non-essential things that we can disagree about, but there's some foundational things we have to have, and we have to have faith and belief so we can approach God in a way that pleases him. So now listen, unbelief has the very real power to disconnect people from God. Listen to Romans 11:19 19 through 21. This is serious stuff. 
even though we all deal with it and we're secure in the Lord, I want you to see the final outcome of unbelief. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. Who's he talking about? The Jews who didn't believe and didn't receive Christ have been broken off from the root from Abraham for a season for the time of the Gentiles to be fulfilled. He says, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Woo, mic drop, boom. God's like, don't, don't get cocky. Don't think, oh, I'm born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. I know I go to the full gospel center. With fear and trembling, work out your faith. Why? Because God says, I cut off my own people for a season because of their unbelief. Now, the Jews are going to be grafted back in, and we're going to see all of Israel saved in a day, as the Scripture says, and there'll be a righteous remnant taken out. God is faithful. He keeps covenant. He doesn't break covenant because man is unfaithful. But I want you to see the very real uh, consequence of unbelief. It's pretty sobering. Number three, unbelief is an issue of the heart that we must all guard against. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's so much in there. I, I could spend a whole week just in that text. Sin deceives us, hardens our heart, and then where we used to have faith, now we have doubt, and it leads to unbelief, and, and it's terminal. God, help us to always stay close to you, to always allow the Holy Spirit to answer the questions of our heart, to not be enamored with sin so that we're drawn away from you and enticed and that that unbelief shatters our connection to you because if there's unbelief there's not faith and without faith it's impossible to please god number four unbelief can actually quench the move of the holy spirit do you do, do you believe that well no the holy spirit shows up god does whatever he wants to do no there is faith required for god to do what he wants to do god's not a bully He's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. If you don't want the Holy Spirit, he won't force himself on you. He'll woo you. He'll chase you down. He'll try and get you, you know, to repent, but he's not going to force himself on you. We're still free moral agents. We have a free will. We can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve ourselves. So unbelief can actually quench the Holy Spirit and actually make miracles improbable. Listen to Matthew 13, 58. And he, speaking about Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Wow. Jesus goes to his hometown. There's no honor for a prophet in his hometown. They're like, who is this guy? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's kid? Who does he think he is? And the Bible says he couldn't do many miracles there. But wait a minute, he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. He could just, you know, I don't want to be healed. I'm going to heal you. Hold still. You know, no, what did he do? He didn't do many miracles there. Why? It says because of unbelief. Why does God not do too many miracles in the Western church? I'll let you answer the question. In other places, he does some really incredible miracles. You should talk to some missionaries out there on the mission field 
Who knows what he's doing with Brother Charles right now? But listen, unbelief is a very powerful thing in that it can short-circuit the move of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be a hindrance to the Holy Spirit. I want to approach the Holy Spirit with faith. I want to say, Holy Spirit, whatever the Father wants, I want it. I'm wide open to it, amen? There's people walking around, well, I don't believe in healing, and I don't want to speak in tongues, and I don't want to do this, and I don't, I don't believe in that. And, uh, okay, you can have what you believe for. But I want it all. I want everything that's available. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with my unbelief. I want the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do at Full Gospel Center. And you know what? There's been times where he does something, and it's wonderful, and the next day I got a few phone calls. I didn't like that. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I hope you're not going to do that every week. Yeah. You want to be a pastor? Unbelief. Number five, the last truth about unbelief I want to cover with you is this. Unbelief is overcome by humble confession and asking for God's help. None of us have it perfect. None of us approach God in perfect faith. None of us don't, you know, I don't struggle with any doubt and I believe everything. No, unbelief is going to, it's going to come up in certain areas in our life. And when it does, the right response is to confess it before the Lord and ask for his help. Listen to Mark 9, 22 through 24. A man describing his demon-possessed son that he was asking Jesus to heal. And he says this, It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. Could you imagine that? You have a child that you love and he's possessed by a devil and the devil's trying to out-out kill him. Throw him into the fire. Throw him into the water. And the man says this to Jesus, But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Wow. That's powerful. The man had enough, enough humility to say, I believe, but I know my belief needs to increase. I believe, but help my unbelief. That should be the cry of our heart when we struggle with stuff. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't have the big picture. I don't know everything. I I don't know the variables. I'm not sure sometimes, but God, help me to trust you. Help me to believe in you. Help me to approach you with faith. Help me to have faith that's bigger than the circumstances. Even right now, as we look what's going on in our nation and all all of the things that are going on in our government and and, and COVID and all these things, many of us, you know, it's like we don't know what to believe anymore. Huh. Anybody paying attention? God, I believe in you. I believe I can trust you. I believe that you're going to come through for us. But God, help my unbelief. So there's what we need to know about unbelief. Our text gives us two reasons more why faith is required. We've got to get rid of the unbelief so we can approach in faith because that's the only way we can please him. But the text continues here, and it gives us really uh, two reasons why it's got to be faith. And it says here, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And listen to this. For he who comes to him must believe that he is. Okay, so let's just take a look at that. We've got to come to God and believe that he exists. Or the King James is to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the, the first reason it's got to be faith here, according to our text, is this. We're never going to approach a God we don't believe is there. 
Who's going to spend their time chasing a God who they don't even believe exists? You see, and this is, this is a text, these, these two portions of text here that I'm going to cover right now, they speak powerfully to the atheist and to the agnostic. This verse here speaks powerfully to the atheist. What? Without faith, it's impossible to believe God, uh, please God. Why? Because we must come to him believing that he exists. We've got to first believe that he's there before we'll even come to him. Do you see how it, it takes faith for us to just get into the door? Now, this makes it really hard for an atheist. Why? Because they don't believe God exists. If the devil can so trick a person to believe that a loving, caring, redeeming, uh, wonderful God is there, they'll never, they'll never pursue him. And so without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the atheist categorically rejects the existence of God and short circuits any measure of faith that he could approach God with and connect to God with. What a trap. I know people who, who believe like that. I have friends that are atheists, and it seems to be such a chasm and such a hurdle for them to just, you know, get to the place where they will even admit that he, he could possibly be there. But without that, they keep themselves estranged from God. And it's such a trap. It makes it so difficult. In the darkest places, in the darkest moments, Man wants to believe that there is a God. There's that old expression, there's no atheists in foxholes. Why? Because when the bullets are flying and you're a whisper away from death, you want to entertain the possibility that this is not it. In the darkest places, in the darkest moments, man wants to believe. Why? Because we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and we, and we want to believe that there is a loving God, that there is a purpose to life, that there is some existence beyond the grave. There's a story about the ruler of the Soviet Union, Leonid Brezhnev, and about his widow. At Brezhnev's funeral... President Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow. She stood motionless by the coffin over her husband's body until seconds before it was closed. Then just as the soldiers touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience in history. Brezhnev's widow, before the lid closed, knelt down and made the sign of the cross over her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secularism, of atheistic power, the wife of the man who had tried to hold it all together in front of everyone said in her heart she felt her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and this life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that same Jesus might have mercy on her husband. You see, <laughs> there are no atheists in foxholes. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts and without faith, it's impossible to please God because we must first believe that he exists. So it's got to be faith. The last thing that our text reveals to us is the second thing I want to point out here. It says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as much as 
we must believe that he exists pertains directly to atheists. The, the, him being a rewarder of those who diligently seek him applies perfectly to agnostics. See, an agnostic has a different view than the atheist. An atheist says there is no God. It's all, you know, it's all just false. We're just a, a, a cosmic accident, a cosmic anomaly. We're here by accident. But the agnostic, he has a different view of God. The agnostic will admit that there may be a God, but we can't know for sure. But this we know for sure. If there is a God, he would never interact with man. The agnostic believes that God would never insert himself into the affairs of man. Yet, this text here says that that makes it impossible to come to God. Why? Because we have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that God is there, that he loves us, and when we seek him, uh, he will reveal himself to us. What, what an idea that is to think, well, there could be a God, but he would never want to, you know, he would never want to interact with man. Are you kidding me? We're the pinnacle of his creation, the apple of his eye, the best thing he ever made, the only thing he, he animated with the breath of life. The, the Genesis says he breathed the breath of life, pumana, into us, the, the word where we get pneumatic from, and he pumped us up and made us a living soul. Woo, I'm going to explode up here. You guys, I don't know what's going on with you. I'm having a good time. I'm alive in Christ, amen. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm the, I'm the handiwork of God, and so are you. Sure, he wants to interact with me. He loves me. He loves you. He, he made us for intimacy. Jeremiah 29, 13, we, we always talk about 11. It's, it's, and, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. See, the, the agnostic and the atheist that don't believe he's there and don't believe he cares for them, they're never going to be able to fulfill Jeremiah 29, 13, and so it makes it difficult for them to be saved. John 14, 21, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me, I will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. See what Jesus wants to do? He doesn't want to stay aloof to us. He doesn't want to keep us at arm's length. He wants intimacy so that he can reveal himself to us so that we can see the glory of the Father. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Seek God. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Amen? He is there. We believe that he exists. We believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We believe that we can, by the help of the Holy Spirit, drive all doubt and unbelief out of our lives and answer the questions of our heart enough to please God by approaching him in faith. It's got to be faith. Because if it's not faith, it's something else. And it's unbelief and it's unpleasing to God. Let's bow our heads tonight. I hope you enjoyed verse 6. Lord, we just thank you for the Hall of Fame of Faith. We thank you for a little pit stop here where we can dig into faith and the concept of it and why it's so important and why it's so important to you. God, we don't want to approach you with doubt and unbelief. We want to approach you in faith. So God, deal with our hearts and rescue us from our own intellects and allow us to believe 
so that we can be pleasing to you. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.